I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, deltons, and things oh. to episode 57 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? If you don't know by now, I get know. out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> That's the Muppets and Star Trek, our all-time obsessions, and we have been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show in Star Trek, the original series. That's right, and tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Loretta, L- L- oh god, that's a mouthful, Loretta Lynn, and Star Trek original series episode Spock's Brain. And we have to apologize to our fans because at the end of last episode, I said it was going to be Spectre of the Gun, and you're going to have to hold off a few more episodes for that one. Yeah, it's coming up though. For you true fans, you'll know it's it's, it's out there, just not yet. So there we go. But before we get into that, Jarman, do we have any feedback? We sure do. So for our last episode, when we reviewed Assignment Earth, um, Paul Wright, our good friend of the podcast, said on Facebook, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek and not just because of Terry Gar. Oh, oh. <laughs> she was a cutie. And also uh, a week ago, uh, a person named Heinz Beans on YouTube <laughs> commented on our Muppets Wizard of Oz review podcast that we did for on our old play on nerd show, but it is Muppets related. So I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, and he just said, great podcast. So thanks, Heinz cool. Beans. That that episode is like three years or four years old at <laughs> least. But that is, I think, our second most YouTube views. Yeah, I think it's because it's so niche, like no one else looks up the Wizard of Oz Muppets. No one so. else wanted to watch that movie. <laughs> I think, I think our other one is Meteor Man. Our Meteor Man review has like yeah. the second most of all. It's very weird, but it's yeah. Look back at our old episodes; are all on YouTube and on our old our podcast feed. Well, thanks, Heinz Beans. Heinz Beans. Heinz Beans. <laughs> there you go. So, tell us about our Muppet Show guest star this week, Loretta Lynn. Well, she's an American singer songwriter, mostly known for her work in the country genre. Uh, known for her big hits like Coal Miner's Daughter and One's on the Way, which she performs in this episode, her career has been active for more than six decades. And to boot, she is an 18-time Grammy nominee and three-time Grammy winner. Yeah, and also, just honorable mention, uh, one of my grandfather's favorites back when he was alive. Oh, okay. He loved. He's from Georgia. He loved him some Loretta Lynn. She's some good, wholesome, country, western kind of music. He was a big fan. Well, on The Muppet Show tonight, uh, the Muppet Theater is actually being fumigated. So the entire show is taking place at an active train platform. (laughs) This leads to a dressed-down Muppet Show theme and opening with everyone kind of uh, performing ad lib. Uh, Kermit introduces Loretta Lynn, who then performs the opening number, You're Looking at Country, with Lubbock Lou and his jug huggers. It's an upbeat number and a nice way to start the show. Yeah. Statler and Waldorf do their heckling this week from a pile of luggage, which I thought was a cute touch. <laughs> Kermit tries to find a quiet place to work, and but the walls rumble every time there's a train goes by, and Gonzo tries to find him a new office. Miss Piggy tries to sing all alone, only being to be interrupted repeatedly, and then she assaults a bunch of train patrons. <laughs> Up next, we have the Muppet News Flash, where mer- mail carriers are on strike, but luckily, the air mail is still running, and the news host is pelted with... Uh, pummeled with dropped bags of mail from above (laughs) gonzo finds kermit a nice office in the caboose which then gets pulled away leaving scooter to introduce fozzie bear 
Fozzie tries to tell a very successful joke, but is drowned out by a train. So we never actually hear the punchline. It was probably his best joke ever. Uh, We get Nat the dance and mostly featuring a hobo Huber and uh, a guy kicking himself in the face with his own legs. (laughs) Scooter wonders where Kermit and Gonzo are when they get where we get a cut to the two of them singing sentimental journey while pushing a manual hand car to get back to the show. Up next, Loretta performs Oh Lonesome Me with a company of dog singers. And it's real cute. Also, I need to mention that Loretta Lynn thing. Uh, my dad always sang that song to me growing up. and I didn't know it was Loretta Lynn's song, but he, yeah. Okay. It's a popular song in my childhood. Following this, we get Veterinarian's Hospital where the train conductor is on the table and the doctor is led into multiple track and train jokes. <laughs> we then get another Muppet News flash where three chickens started a war by pecking a telegraph machine. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Without Kermit's direction, a menagerie of characters go out to sing the rhyming song where halfway through they realize it's not the rhyming song and they all jump up and down and wave their arms and get off the stage. (laughs) Kermit gets Scooter on the phone. Loretta is concerned about the scenery for her closing act, but don't worry, Fozzie's got it covered. Loretta's joined by a bunch of babies performing ones on the way, uh, and it's, it's just a great number to go out on. Kermit gets back just in time for the close of the show. He thanks Loretta. Gonzo says he took care of the trains by putting up an airport sign, which draws planes instead. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with Loretta Lynn? Uh, Well, some good things. Um, I always love a veterinary's hospital and I love that all these things are they're having to take place somewhere else because it's all in the train station, which is totally unique for a whole show. We've never seen that a different location before for the whole show. This is just a really random curveball, but I loved it. They did it really well. Um, and I love Miss Piggy's joke when she's talking about he made three train track jokes and then he made a, th- a fourth one and she's like, oh, well, three and a half because <laughs> it wasn't that great. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Um, but yeah, a lot of different sets were awesome and the whole story is coherent going on backstage. Like there's a whole through line that's going on, which is pretty awesome. Um, the rhyming song I thought was hilarious. I'm, I'm curious to hear about that <laughs> later on, uh, from your trivia about that song. Cause it was just a, him at the end going, and we get off the stage. Let's like, all jump up and down and wave our arms and get off the stage. The rhyming song, the rhyming song, the rhyming song, the rhyming song. <laughs> but it's like, I get off the stage. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, some of the things that bothered me, uh, the baby puppet abominations were terrifying. <laughs> The baby puppets are often scary looking. Oh, my God. That was like from a horror film. Those things are messed up looking. Um, And also if that baby number, what would be a great song? It was just at least on my end was very poorly mixed. You couldn't hear half the things she was saying or singing on my Uh, end. Okay. And everything else. The episode was fine. Just that one number was just like it was the music and the the puppets were out like outdoing her. You couldn't hear her very well, which I thought was upsetting. Hmm, Okay. Um. But also, I think she had a, a lovely voice, and she seems very friendly, um, but she doesn't seem to have any acting skills whatsoever, Loretta Lynn. Um, and she was kind of awkward with the Muppets, but I give her a pass because uh, she seemed to just be really good-natured and wanted to be there, and she was trying. Like It wasn't like some of our other guests that were bad with Muppets because they just didn't give a shit and thought this was weird, where she seemed like she was really trying. She just wasn't very good because she's awkward performing in that way. Um, uh, there was one number in particular, I think it was, Oh, lonesome me where she kept like looking at the puppeteer or yeah. looking at someone off camera, but 
maybe maybe that was the first one they recorded. Like for all I know, that was like her getting broken in. But specifically in Oh Lonesome Me, I agree. I re- I was like, who is she looking at? It was right all now? the dogs at the end come up, and she's who like, is she interacting. She's looking with? all over the place with a smile plaster on her face. It was very kind of strange and awkward. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So I absolutely, hundred percent agree on that on that lit. Yeah. Uh, front. That being said, I totally agree. The the at the train station and in a completely different location while trying to keep the show running. This might this I'm not even sure this might be the first time where like the B plot overtook the A plot. I think you're right. Yeah. Of the show. We've had good B plots, but this is like the whole show was the B plot and she just happened to be there kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah. And even when I was writing the summary, because normally I divide it up by backstage and on stage. Mm hmm. I couldn't really do that because there was no on stage, like at the train station. <laughs> um, so even that was, was mixed for me this week. Yeah. Um, she got to perform a lot of her own musical, a lot of her own numbers, like stuff that she wrote. So it's always cool to watch a musical guest get to do that. Um, but yeah, I admit she was not the best, but the episode was real good. Yeah, that's why I, I think it goes to the top of the middle for me. Like it's like top middle because it's like this is really entertaining in a really different way. It took a whole new direction. I thought it was just amazing. I always skip over the intro in the beginnings now because mm-hmm. um, it still skips to the point where I can hear the the new joke that is made at the end with a Gonzo and his trumpet. Mm-hmm. So I can always skip the intro, but still see Gonzo's unique trumpet joke. But this time I was like, oh, I don't want to skip the intro because it's a whole different intro. It's totally different. And Absolutely. There, it was a new voice recording because they were saying different things about the train station while they're saying the intro song. So that was like really cool, too. And even the outro was different. And yeah. Like off key and sad. Almost. <laughs> exactly. Because they're all out of sorts because they're not their studio. So that was uh, really cool. So a very unique episode that maybe the uniqueness of the episode bailed out a lackluster host. I think so. Yeah, it really helped her along because she didn't have to carry the whole weight of the show. That's true. Oh, man. Yeah, it's good times. Well, let's talk about some music she sang this week. Uh, you're looking at country. This is by Loretta Lynn. She wrote it while she was on one of her first tours because she was on a bus for long periods of time just looking out over the uh, like rural America. So literally looking at country, literally you're looking at country, <laughs> literally that's the song's about uh, all alone. This one is by Irving Berlin, originally written for a Broadway musical, uh, the music box review of 1924. Oh, yes. Which ran for 440 performances. Jesus. Sentimental Journey, a big hit for Doris Day. It was released just as World War Two was ending in Europe, and it became like the unofficial anthem for men returning from home, oh. uh, returning home from the war. Right. Sort of by default. Hmm. Uh, oh, Lonesome Me, written by uh, Fawn Gibson and Chet Atkins. This peaked at number seven on the charts, but it was actually the B-side to the song I Can't Stop Loving You, which also reached number seven on the charts. In what year? Uh, I don't have it. <laughs> Probably pretty early, like 30s, I would imagine. I would like guess that. 30 or 40s. Yeah. Uh, the rhyming song, which you asked about, this was is actually one of, I think, only two songs where Frank Oz has a writing credit. Nice. Him and Larry Grossman. Grossman was a longtime Muppet associate uh, associate, and uh, he actually won an Emmy for music direction for the Muppet celebrate Jim Henson oh, after okay. Jim's death. That makes sense. Could seem like very catered to the Muppets. The show that that song. Oh yeah, yeah. You couldn't pick that pick that out of like a Broadway musical. I was like, what Broadway musical could that be? And I was thinking to myself as it was going on, I'm like, that doesn't seem like it fits anywhere. <laughs> One's on the way. This is another Loretta Lynn hit, but it was actually written by famed children's writer Shel Silverstein. Hmm. 
and in the song, there is a reference to uh, like sexy icon Raquel Welch, and she's actually going to be a special guest in just a few episodes. Very nice. Yeah. So, Jarman, what did you think was the best or most successful Muppeteering moment? So it's weird because it was both my favorite and least favorite, but it was the baby scene. Uh, oh, man. Because there was just so many babies being controlled at once and their weird faces they were making, even though they're terrifying, were all seemed very like nuanced. And then at the same time, she had to do that baby handoff where she basically picked it up off the, the puppeteer's arm, carries it over, you know, in her arms and then puts it down into the crib on another mu- puppeteer's arms, who then starts moving it almost immediately. Like catches it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And so I'm like, wow, that was well done. Like, and, and plus a singer who's not familiar with that. And she's just like sing or at least fake sing while she's doing that. Like, that's really difficult and coordinating all the different levels because there's babies moving everywhere throughout that whole thing. So it was very impressive, but also terrifying. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Gonzo and Kermit on the push railway cart mm. um, when they're singing sentimental journey, because at one point I th- the, 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 the rod going up and down jerks so violently that the side on Kermit's side goes crazy off kilter. I did see that. And it was not intended. And they just improvised a line and kept going. He's like, watch it over there or something like that. Yeah. Right. And the <laughs> fact that they were so good at performers. Mm-hmm. And so much their characters that even a flub could be salvaged for a performance. So impressive to me. I have to say you're saying good performers because Jim Henson is Kermit, right? He's always. Yes. So I was just listening to a podcast not long ago about voice acting and they were talking about Jim Henson while he was in acting school. And one of his teachers was telling him he had a fascination with puppets even back then. She said, you could be a serious actor one day, but you have to stop this ridiculousness with these stupid puppets. And he's he refused <laughs> to listen to her. And thank God he did, because now he created the Muppet Empire. <laughs> but, That's right. Yeah. So good for Jim Henson. He's a great, great performer in every respect of the word. Uh, so, Jarman, tell us about this week's episode of the original series that we watched. Oh, boy. So we have everyone's favorite, Spock's Brain, the only episode in the original series to have one of the characters names in the title. Um, so there you go. So the Enterprise encounters a random small alien ship and the ship won't respond to any of their hails in any language. And suddenly a beautiful woman beams herself onto the bridge from that ship and she smiles at all of them and then touches this bracer on her arm and everyone in the ship passes out. And while they're out, she seemingly kidnaps Spock. When they all wake up, Bones calls Kirk down to the sick bay because when Bones woke up, he found Spock was there on one of the medical tables, but apparently his brain was gone. His brain's gone, Jim. <laughs> With surgical precision. Uh, Bones says he can probably keep Spock's body alive for 24 hours without his brain, but after that, it's goodbye, Spock. So Kirk and the bridge crew are able to track down uh, where the ship might have gone to a nearby solar system and seemingly with Spock's brain. And there are three planets in the system that are M-class, meaning they can support life, but two of them are way too backward to have had the technology to create that craft and to remove Spock's brain with surgical precision, and the third planet is almost completely iced over. But Kirk has a hunch that it's the icy planet they went to, and they have limited time, so they're just going to go down and try it. So they beam down with an away team to search for Spock's brain and the mystery woman who took it. So once in the planet, they're attacked by cavemen, But they subdue them, and the caveman explains that they are controlled by the others, whoever they are, uh, who deliver both pleasure and pain. And he doesn't seem to know what a woman or a female is, which is strange. 
but that just then Chekhov discovers a nearby cave that is filled with supplies, but it also is seemingly trapped with a beam of some sort that will go off and trap them there or something. So Bones then beams down with Spock's body, which is now under the remote control of some sort, uh, some sort of device that Bones commands and controls like a drone. And they take Spock's body into the cave. They set off the trap, which then turns the cave into an elevator, taking them down into a giant lair of some kind underground. And they are quickly found by another beautiful woman in the same kind of outfit who tries to knock them out again with her bracer, but they stop her in time. And she doesn't seem to know what a man is either, but she knows about there being um, an above and a below, basically the lair and the above ground, the outside. Uh, Kirk tries to question her about Spock's brain, but she's totally confused and Bones scans her and sees that she is way too dumb to possibly answer any of his questions. <laughs> and they soon find out they're able to communicate with Spock's brain via their communicators. So they're kind of talking to Spock and he's like walking them through what's going on. Um, they tell him that they'll find him somehow. But before they can question that woman further, uh, Kara shows up, who is the woman that was on the ship and she's with some caveman guards. And they question her, but she seems that she's just as dumb as the previous woman, and she doesn't even know what a brain is. So she finally tells them that something called the controller is in charge of everything and keeps everything running down there. So they want to get to this controller, but she imprisons them, which they quickly escape from, and they seek out this controller that she was talking about. So they find the room where the controller is and find that Spock's brain has been placed uh, placed in this machine and that he, in fact, is the new controller because the old controller was dead. And he's a brain keeping their entire bunker running like a human body, basically. And they finally figure out through Kara that she only knew how to fly up to the ship and steal Spock's brain by using the teacher, which is a helmet that temporarily gives you the knowledge of the ancient but super advanced race that used to live down there. So Kirk forces her to wear the teacher. And once she is knowledgeable again, she knows how to use a phaser that she has on her from earlier. And she takes Kirk captive and tells him that she'll never remove Spock's brain and that he must be the controller for the next 10,000 years. Otherwise, their society's doomed. And this is when it gets weird because Scotty moans for some reason to distract her. It's very strange, uh, which lets Kirk take the phaser back from her and subdue her. And eventually Bones decides to use the teacher to figure out how to put Spock's brain back in, even though it's very dangerous because... He doesn't know how it will affect a human's physiology. But Bone successfully completes the surgery on Spock, putting his brain back in, but only after starting to lose his memories. And he uses Spock to re reattach his brain because he reattaches Spock's nerves, uh, speech center first. Um, and apparently Spock still has the knowledge from the controller because he was attached uh, to it for a long time. I guess they don't really explain that, how he knows how to attach his brain back. Uh, but now the controller is gone. Kara fears that her civilization is civilization is doomed. But Kirk tells her to get over it and to go live out in the cold with the brutal cavemen. And that's how the episode ends. <laughs> so, so what do you think of this episode, Steve? All right. So some things I liked. I don't know. I felt so just to get off the plate. I felt very middling about this episode in almost every regard. Hey, middling's pretty good for Spock's nothing brain. Spectacular. <laughs> nothing was was really awful. We've had much more overtly awful episodes. Um, things I liked: interesting opening. Like we've had things just show up on the bridge before, but for them to show up and take something and immediately disappear and have that thing be Spock's brain. <laughs> Was a little nuts. I'm yeah, not it, it was pretty a nuts. cool, gripping opening at the very least. <laughs> um, there were some good themes that you could see, but unlike a lot of episodes, they didn't beat you over the head with them so hard. Mm. In that, like, dependency on tech and uh, the, the idea that it left this void 
where these people don't know how to do anything. Kind of like the whole thing with Wally, where you have too much technology, you're going to become dumb and in chairs and stuff and complacent to it. Yeah. To the point where you're, you're helpless without it. You know, there were some good themes throughout this that weren't crazy overt. So I appreciated that Hmm. things I thought were weird. And these are very specific things. Why did Scotty look so weird this episode? He changed his hair for the first time. It's actually in the trivia as well. It's his new hairstyle. He looked weird. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> his hair was like darker and combed back. It looked very Shatnery almost. It didn't help. They kept cutting to him for long periods of time where he wasn't doing anything. So it was just kind of odd, just staring at him doing nothing for a lot of shots. It was very strange. Um, and then McCoy did what I think I've talked about before. One of my acting bugaboos. Uh, he did the actor's whisper so hard this episode. I wanted to reach into the television and slap him. He's got he no talking, brain, Jim. Yeah. The, it doesn't exist. I can't do it. I was like, God, no one. What are you doing? Why are you whispering aggressively at Captain Kirk? And he's normally not a perpetrator. So I think that made it extra like, what? Did did he take acting lessons in the off season? What is this? Bad acting lessons? Um. The the caveman thing felt unnecessary. Yeah, it it was clearly to show how brutal the above world is, but we didn't get enough of it to make have, make it have an impact on the actual plot. Kind of an unneeded complication, I guess. Um, the idea that the that the the creator the the controller can can instill wisdom for three hours at a time was at least interesting. Sure. And a clever plot device in that even technology would need a human from time to time to do something. Right. Um, but I feel like it was underutilized. Like it was just used to steal Spock's brain. I would have loved a different example. Yeah. And I like, I like the idea though, that they even machines, the best machine is a human brain that we can't replicate that. Even if you're super, super advanced, they need a brain to be actually physically be there to control this whole layer. Um, and that's kind of neat, but, um, yeah, and it was all good plot devices. Like you were saying, these are great sci-fi elements that just put together in a very haphazard kind of way, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the problem being the solution is like classic Star Trek and they did that well. The thing that allowed them to steal Spock's brain is the exact thing that's going to let them put, put it back. Right. Um, so overall middling episode while lackluster, it was not overtly terrible the way some of my least favorite ones are. Yeah. And Kirk didn't trick a single computer. So it has that going for it. And there was an ultra powerful old race of people that aren't around anymore, but there was no super gods that are just playing with humans like usual. So that wasn't there either, which is great. Um, And I'll agree. I think this is not one of the worst episodes ever. Like most people say, it's just middling because we've had just much more boring episodes. Did those people see Cat's Paw? <laughs> That's got to be in the top 10 worst. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think middling as well. It's it's not terrible. It was entertaining for sure. And if anything, I'm glad that because it's in the middle, we'll never talk about this episode again. <laughs> Probably. Because it will never make it on our top three or bottom three. So I can literally forget it exists. I will say the highlight for me, because uh, there's a story that I love called Flowers for Algernon, which we mm-hmm. might have read in school. A lot of people have. But basically where a man is uh, experimented on after a mouse is experimented on to give them intelligence, super intelligence. And so they give scientists tested on a human and this really unintelligent man is given this uh, drug and he becomes super, super intelligent. 
But then he notices that the mouse that they first tested it on is now losing its intelligence. So he has to deal with the fact that he's going to lose his intelligence soon. And he has to frantically work to try to stop it. And he can't. And it's tragic. Uh, spoilers. Um, and there's a good movie of it as well. But that's that line that's um, the doctor has, McCoy, where he puts the machine on his head and he gets super, super. He's all their super intelligence. And mm-hmm. he's like, a child could do it. I just I love that line. It gave me a little goosebumps. So simple. A child can do it. Because it was great. It's very flowers for Algernon. And, and also knowing that he's going to lose that intelligence within three hours was pretty, pretty right. cool. <laughs> but anyways, so we have some trivia for this episode. Um, in his book, William Shatner refute, refer, referred to this episode as one of the worst. And Leonard Nimoy has stated that he was embarrassed during the entire shooting of this episode. <laughs> Fair. He's just walking around like a zombie. That makes sense. Uh, this, as you said, this is the first appearance of Scotty's new hairstyle where it's brushed back instead of parted to the side. For some reason, he decided to make a change um, in informal surveys taken at science fiction conventions. This episode is promptly and almost universally named as the worst of the original series. And really, it has dumb moments, but I don't agree. I just don't really? agree. Really? <laughs> oh, there's some so much worse than this. People. I didn't even mind Cat's Paw too much, but there's just more, much more boring episodes. Um, uh, the Vulcan philosophy that we all become familiar with later on in the movies, especially the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is paraphrased in this episode where Kara says the need of my people for their controller is greater than your need for your friend, uh, which I think is probably a Gene Roddenberry, probably influenced line, but, uh, they don't follow it in this episode, obviously, but right. But I think there's <laughs> probably a better way. All. Yeah, for one person. Screw them. <laughs> so we got any uh, Trek connection, Muppet connections this week. Oh, boy, do we. Uh, so so let's start with this factoid. There was a, sh- a sketch comedy show that got one season called Hot Hero Sandwich. OK. OK, this this existed. Uh, it was mostly geared towards kids. I think it ran for one season from like 78 to 79 or 79 to 80. Uh, And in their first episode, they had featured guests, including Loretta Lynn and Leonard Nimoy. I want to see this show. There's like a part of an episode online. It it is weird. (laughs) And there's like, God, there was one guy in it who you'll kind of recognize from stuff. Wow. Uh, But the the opening sketch, one of the sketches I watched was two parents reading about the like effects of marijuana while eating dinner with their kids and the kids are like over exaggerating showing signs that they've all been smoking weed. How funny. Right. <laughs> um, so then there's also Marge Jusay who played Kara uh, in this episode. She was also a guest on an episode of fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, feeding Alonzo featuring Alonzo Ribera, who was just in a cameo in the Muppet haunted mansion. Oh, yeah. And folks, uh, if you listen to our other show, A Play on Nerds, we just did a uh, a review of that Haunted Mansion show on our Halloween episode. But you could That's be listening right. to this episode in years in the future, so you can ignore that if you want. Or you could just go back and listen to it. Yeah, you could. So those are the two Trek connections I could find this week. That's pretty good, though. That's good. Yeah. So uh, these episodes are basically the same. Basically the same. I mean, they both featured somebody missing something, Spock's brain and the Muppet Theater. That's true. Uh, and both shows took place somewhere other than their regular set. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not uh, the Enterprise, not the Muppet Theater. Something similar. Both feature people trying to get back to where they should be. The crew trying to get Sprock's brain back to his body and Kermit and Gonzo trying to get back to the show. 
I also had that, but added the time factor to that. They were racing against time because Kermit and Gonzo are trying to get back before the show ends. And Spock's brain is trying to get back in before uh, eight hours passes. Nice. Both involve people with stomach pain. The crew with their uh, like submission belts they have to wear (laughs) and Piggy chopping the train patrons who interrupt her. That is true. That's true. Uh, And both involve doctors and surgery jokes. Uh, the veterinarian's hospital uh, with the conductor and bones and the controller, i.e. Spock. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Oh, my God. Transporter malfunction. It's that time of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and then vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? Uh, first Muppets Trek, I've got Rolf as the doctor coming over to replace Bones, <laughs> constantly cracking brain and head jokes as Spock tries to talk him through brain surgery. That would be amazing. I love that one. <laughs> Not how you get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Bones, this is serious. Stop it. <laughs> uh, so uh, I have Loretta Lynn takes over for uh, the female leader, Kara. Uh, and Kirk is still just as pissed at her, but not for being dumb this time, but just because she can only speak only in folksy country songs. <laughs> nice. Trek some up at a similar. I've got Kara coming over to replace Loretta Lynn because they both have the same hairstyle. Oh, that's fair. Just about. And she can give the same vapid look to the Muppets that Loretta Lynn did. Yeah, just confused. <laughs> yeah. Just confusion looking around. Yes. And I have zombie Spock, who is basically what he was, takes over for Scooter. I think it's the first time we've had Scooter being replaced, possibly. I love this. Uh, And everyone's asking him questions because he was left in charge now that Kermit's gone. Uh, But he just walks into everyone and eventually walks onto the train tracks and dies. (laughs) (laughs) Spock, what do we do? Mm. Just walks away. (laughs) Or walks into them like, stop it, Spock. What are you doing? So I guess that brings us to the end of episode 57 of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Liberace. Oh, yeah. And original series episode, The Enterprise Incident. So from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>